Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is fertility and the Christmas story. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zentelo, and it's my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this subject comes with a trigger warning. It does. So I'm going to give just a little statement here that for those who have had challenges with fertility, those of us who have either had miscarriages or loss of an infant, or for those of us who have not had the opportunity to have children, we are going to be talking openly about that. I will be sharing about my own fertility journey and inability to have children of my own biologically. And so if that kind of conversation is hard or brings up rough stuff, you do not have to stick around. Trust me, I totally get it. Go ahead and move on to the next podcast. Know that you are loved exactly as you are, and that all will be well. Okay, so for everybody who has chosen to remain with us, Mm -hmm. because I have not had such issues It did not occur to me that this would be problematic. So I'm going to start by asking you this. Mm -hmm. Is this something that because of your own issues you think about or is it something that others have brought to your attention? Other folks kind of made me aware of it, but because of my own personal journey, I am fully dead in this myself. Okay. And I decided this year to go ahead and share a bit more about that. I think about a week ago, I posted on Facebook because all of a sudden my Facebook feed started getting filled with all these pictures of pregnant Mary again. Uh, yeah. And it was just this time of year. We're like, oh, look, here's pregnant Mary with pregnant Elizabeth. And look, everybody's focused on these pregnant ladies again. Either you get pregnant ladies or you get lots of manger scenes with right. little babies. It's just all over the place everywhere again. And in the midst of this, a friend of mine is in the middle of a fertility journey. And there's a whole spectrum along that for me. And so... I personally viscerally feel all of this, and I posted on my Facebook, hey, folks who are in this kind of a situation, I see you. I get it. I get the eye rolling, the merry memes. I get the Mm -hmm. bitterness and the frustration. I get the sadness and the grief that comes along with it all. It's just this giant ball of difficulty. And I thought, okay, I think I'm well enough along my own journey and well enough healed along my own process that I can actually talk about that a bit this year. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't have any understanding or experience or any reason to understand why having every third post in your Facebook feed be a picture of a pregnant lady. Well, and let's be be honest, it's hard enough every other time of the year Because I am at the point now where people have stopped asking if I'm going to have more. Mm -hmm. But for a very large chunk of most females' lives, you're either looking for a partner or you're being asked when are you going to have kids and how many are you going to have. And that is how you're measured. Totally. And for folks who are queer and trying to find ways around babies and having children. I mean, there's an entire... There's a whole other level to the whole thing. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. I, I've had the honor and the privilege to travel alongside of queer folks in this kind of a journey. And 
It is not easy. It is never easy. And it's filled with everybody giving their opinions. And it's one thing to be cis and in a heterosexual marriage and have everybody's expectations falling on you. Sure. And it's another thing to have society making comments on whether or not you even have the right to children when you're queer. So there's a lot that comes up. And I think we skip recognizing that because we don't often talk about fertility. No. Well, we don't really know how to. It's a very private subject for many and you risk offending people one way or another and it brings up a ton of emotion yeah it brings up a ton of emotion and because we don't honor a lot of those emotions and we don't give space for a lot of that I think there's also a ton of grief around this that goes unprocessed so for people who have had you know loss of an infant as far as miscarriage or infertility goes that oftentimes is not discussed. No, no, it really isn't. It's a private thing because you would not have known necessarily that the person is pregnant. Often. And you would not have known that they would have gone through anything like that. Absolutely. And so earlier this year, and my friend has been very public about this because she thinks it's important to get rid of the stigma around this. My friend is working to conceive and was pregnant with twins early at the beginning of this year. And we lost the twins. Oh, that's so very sad. And so Cedar and Laurel were lost sometime in the beginning of the pregnancy. But it was very, very exciting. And it's been years to get to that point. Sure. Years and years of work and money and effort. And to lose them was really hard. So I think in the midst of all of this, we have this Christmas story of this young woman who gets pregnant by some undetermined method that we don't know. We say the angel came and she was divinely inseminated with Jesus. Okay. We don't know exactly how Mary got pregnant. We trust that there was something in there that happened. We pray that she actually got to say yes. Consent was involved. We hope. And we know that consent was involved spiritually. We hope consent was involved physically. And okay. her experience. And so this young woman is pregnant and carries and carries to term in a very difficult political time in a very difficult region, gives birth in difficult circumstances. Yep. And has this baby. And so this is the heart of our Christmas story. This is the part that we tell. This is what is important to tell. It's important that we celebrate the actual incarnation of Christ, the point at which God becomes fully human, becomes incarnated. Sure. And so as much as we celebrate the resurrection at Easter, we're celebrating the incarnation of God at Christmas as an infant. Meanwhile, all of us who have never gotten to be pregnant, who have wanted to, sure, or who have lost a child, are sitting in the pews or sitting around these stories with all of the unprocessed gunk and the grief and the bitter and the angry and all of that coursing through us. And I think what I wanted to say this year is that you're not alone in it. Okay. Because we don't talk about it. We're too busy being excited for the arrival of baby Jesus. Which is fair. Which is good and important. And we need to focus on that. And we're too busy focusing on the incredible spirit of this young Mary who said yes to change the world. Which is good. Mm -hmm. And what I wrote in that Facebook post that 
kind of had me inspired to say, let's go ahead and do this, Don. Let's talk about this. I'll talk about this publicly for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Was I, I get it. People aren't alone. The whole fertility thing comes up a ton at Christmas, and it's real, real hard. And if it hurts, remember that Jesus didn't get to be a parent either. Oh, a fascinating little tidbit, huh? He never had the chance to have a child either. And if we want to think about Emmanuel, God with us, which is what this season of Advent is about. Advent, we're waiting for the coming of Christ. We're waiting for the arrival of God on earth. God with us, Emmanuel. And so for this piece, for those who struggle with fertility, for those who have lost children, for those who have never had the chance to parent in a way that they dreamed of or longed for or hoped for in their lifetime, you're not alone. I, for one, totally get it. And Jesus didn't get to do it either. And what I said in the post was, and he would have been a damn good parent, Hmm. just like those of us who wished to have gotten to be, right? He would have been a damn fine parent. And when we think about the baby Jesus, we don't necessarily always think about this is the man that becomes the one who travels with us, who becomes the one who experiences these things alongside of us who gets our grief, who sits with us within the grief. And I want to invite for those who are on this journey to think, yeah, Jesus is right there with you. He never got to have a kid. He never got to parent. Siblings might have. His siblings may well have. May have been an uncle. Mm -hmm. His apostles may have had kids. Sure. But Jesus didn't have kids. And for some reason, that made this a little more bearable for me this year. That idea that Jesus is in there with me in this too. And that is a grief that is not unknown by God. Because even God got to be a parent, right? Jesus was born. Sure. Right. <laughs> right. But Jesus didn't get to be a parent. So maybe somewhere in there is that place where I can find Emmanuel this year in this part of the journey. And so I commend it to other folks for whom this is hard stuff. This is real hard stuff. Do you get a break in any of the Gospels, or do they all have some sort of a pregnant Mary portion to them? Only two of our Gospels have pregnant Mary. Okay. So it's such a large part of what I think of when I think of Advent. Yeah. And it's interesting because Advent is actually more about, we hear the story more about John the Baptist okay. than we do about pregnant Mary. We always get Mary on the fourth Sunday of Advent, but the first three Sundays of Advent are oftentimes more about John the Baptist than they are about Mary. Huh. Because John points the way to Jesus, but they're adults at that point. The Gospel of Mark begins with John pointing to Jesus at the River Jordan. The Gospel of John begins with the creation of the galaxy. Sure. And then jumps straight into John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and the baptism. It's Matthew and Luke that tell the story of Joseph and Mary, and they tell them differently. One tells it very much from the perspective of Mary, so Luke silences the men and tells the story from the perspective of Mary and Elizabeth, so John and Jesus' moms. Mm -hmm. And Matthew focuses much more on the story of Joseph and his experience and then their flight to Egypt, and so their experience as immigrants and refugees. 
And so there is so much that is rich and vibrant around the conversation, around the birth of Jesus and the childhood of Jesus and the experiences. We don't have a ton of information, but we really like the image of pregnant Mary. We do. And we really like... Little babies are cute. Little babies. Little babies are cute until you really want one, and then they just hurt yeah. when you see everybody else having one. Yeah. Right? And, and then, so... And even when you have one, you go, wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it's a good thing they're cute. Right? There's a purpose. There is a biological... Yes, there is. <laughs> ...reason for them to be so cute. So... How has it changed your journey, how you preach about the subject? Do you lean less into that imagery and focus on the other things? I mean, you only have two of the Gospels of the four to worry about. Yeah, but we focus on them every year. And at Christmas, we use Matthew or Luke every single year. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, lectionary. Um, I know, right? (laughs) Everybody likes the baby Jesus story. I mean, it's important, so... I'm not downplaying it. Please don't hear me downplaying that part of the story. But it has, I think, changed the way that I encounter the Christmas story early in my ministry. When I still had dreams of being a parent and getting to be a parent, I probably stepped into that very differently. Okay. At this point in my ministry where I know that I will not be having biological children and my partner and I are not looking to adopt or to do anything of those measures, we're done. We are out of the child raising business. Okay. At this point, I think the last few years it impacted the way that I preached when I was in the midst of that grief and that processing that this was really not going to happen and not going to be a part of my life in any way. And I certainly didn't talk about that publicly because that was my grief. That was my wound and was not something that I was sharing a ton about. I think I will probably find a balanced approach in the years going forward. There's a whole lot more to the story than just the pregnancy or just the baby. And there's plenty out there that focuses on those parts and those aspects of the story. And I think that there's a lot that could be talked about that's not just that part. Even our children's pageant this last weekend, there's a whole lot to be said about the shepherd's journey. Sure. And a lot to be said about their experience of these angels and the whole host of heaven and this phrase that we sing at the beginning of our worship services and nobody knows where it really comes from, but here's where it comes from. It comes from the incarnation of God in our midst and the angels arriving on earth to proclaim this arrival to shepherds. And who were these shepherds? Why did they matter? And yeah, why do the shepherds get singled out? Exactly, right? Like there's a whole section there of God's message coming to unexpected people that because we really like the Mary baby Jesus stuff, we kind of skip over that. Has it changed at all just with the, I don't want to say war on Christmas, Yeah, but has gotten a lot more secular in terms of what you buy, what you decorate with, and what you see? I think in some ways it's made it harder because the Christian response to that has oh, been to like to lean more deeply into yeah, it. Yeah, it's mm. like double down, doubling down on like pregnant Mary. Oh man, if they could give Mary twins, they probably would. Right. <laughs> and like, I don't know what it is about this year, but there's a lot of really kind of graphic images that are coming through. Like people are getting kind of avant-garde with their oh, depictions of Mary. Okay, They're beautiful depictions. Don't get me wrong. 
I appreciate the art and I think it's stunning and it's nothing I can relate to. Sure. To see a, a depiction of a pregnant woman in labor. So, you know, to see that and to hold her up as Mary and Jesus, it's likely something that would resonate very powerful with some people. Mm-hmm. For me, it completely ostracizes me from participating in pondering that situation. I'm going to be honest. I don't have any need to relive it. (laughs) I don't need those images either. And the thing of it is, is I think that those who have given birth have such varied experiences. Oh, absolutely. Of that entire process. For some people who have been able to give birth, it was beautiful and wonderful and amazing and painful, right? But still a relatively shall we say, elegant and holy experience. Mm -hmm. And for other people who have given birth, it was absolutely terrible. Well, traumatic and horrible for so many people. Yeah. And then when you say that it was traumatic and horrible, there's shame. Oh, yeah. Around that. And I think that's a whole other side of this fertility stuff that people who haven't had a lot of exposure to that don't get to see the individuals whose bodies have been devastated by Uh giving birth and for whom it was not in any way a positive experience and the trauma and the unprocessed trauma and the grief that goes with that at the same time that you're supposed to be like the Holy Virgin Mary who loved giving birth and is beautiful holding her baby boy with her blue and white outfit afterwards. Peaceful and pondering these things in her heart. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, we don't discuss the trauma of how painful recovery or how long recovery can be. And our media likes to lift up people who are able to recover to their pre-pregnant bodies so quickly. And it just creates such a hard... Well, any straying of what is supposedly the norm or the ideal is shunned and shamed. Yeah. And so... All of that can be brought up for folks when the nativity is pulled out. And I'm not saying not to pull out the nativity. I'm not saying, like, I have a beautiful nativity set that I love that I just put up last night, right? I'm not saying it's bad. I guess what I'm calling to is to say for those of us for whom this is bringing up a lot of stuff, yeah, it's bringing up a lot of stuff. Of course it is. Like a major image of our entire holiday for this month is a potentially incredibly traumatic incident in your life. Yep. Yeah. There's going to be something that's brought up, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And you're not alone in it. And there are other ways to enter the Christmas story. And there are other ways to engage the holiness of the incarnation of God in our midst without having to focus and center it on the pregnancy of Mary and the birth of Christ. Excellent. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question is... What do you like to use then as an alternative image or thing to talk about around Christmas if it's not going to be Mary being pregnant and giving birth in a manger? Yeah, if I'm avoiding all the, you know, we're pregnant, you know, we're doing the holy waiting that comes like when you're waiting for a baby to arrive in your life. and Yeah. Because there are also, on the flip side, a lot of people who are pregnant who are very, very sad and upset about that because that's not the outcome they wanted either. Right. Or it's not as romantically pleasant as they expected it to be. Mm -hmm. 
So I probably lean toward actually sticking with the lectionary texts a little more. Yeah. And talking about John the Baptist and pointing the way and those kinds of pieces. Okay. How are we preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ in the way of... So preparation in general. Preparation in general. Not just prepping for a baby specifically. Right. Okay. Like, I don't know that I would ever preach a sermon about how are you preparing the nursery for baby Jesus in your heart? <laughs> oh, jeez. Right. Like, Thank you. <laughs> I've heard that sermon. Oh, no. Yeah. Not ever going to go there. Okay. Right? Because that's going to bring up a whole ton for people that people don't understand. I'll have to say my someone close to me... I'll protect your identity, had a miscarriage while I was in seminary Mm. and happened to be visiting me the week after. So for folks who are unaware of how miscarriage can work, it actually lasts for far longer than just one day. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that happens over time in those situations and a lot of pain, as well as a lot of hormone fluctuation that is very difficult in the weeks that follow. Oh, yes. So... I had firsthand experience of holding that person in my space the week after they lost their first child. And so I don't know that I had ever had the impetus to talk about preparing a nursery for baby Jesus because of that experience. I think the idea of every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be laid low, like paths will be made straight. The whole idea of how do we prepare things, not in a way that we prepare for a baby, Uh but how do we find our way into creating a pathway for something? That's an image that I can get behind in Advent. Sure. That's a pointing toward. I think the image of pointing toward something is a powerful image for Advent. Because that's what John the Baptist does. He constantly points to Christ. He becomes a sign that points the way to Christ. And that is who we are called to be in this world. We are supposed to be those who point to Christ and God in the midst of the world all over. And I think that that's a really fascinating and engaging idea to encounter in Advent. As far as Christmas actually goes and preaching about Jesus showing up as a baby in the world... I don't know. Where do I often go? I've gone with radiance. Sure. So I've gone with uh, the angels. I've gone with all kinds of things. You can, there's so much. The story is so vast and so rich. And with Mary, I've talked about, you know, she's a, she's a little rebel. Yeah. She's an incredible young woman who says yes to changing the world. And it reminds me so much of the power of young women in this world. I appreciate the image that you give of her that is completely opposite of the one that I grew up with in the Catholic Church of docile. Right. And I like that so much more. I mean, her Magnificat is anything but docile. You know, she's singing about the mighty are going to be torn from their throne and the kingdoms will crumble. And this is not a docile child at all. This is an angry adolescent 
young woman who knows her power to change the world, who's owning it and says, this world is going to crumble to justice and proclaims it through her action of reclaiming her own strength and her own choice in her body. So I lean towards those kind of images uh-huh. rather than focusing on sleeping baby, sleeping baby, pregnant, docile, teenage mother. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about fertility and the Christmas story. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening. We would be happy to hear from you. If this inspires something within you or brings something up, you are welcome to reach out to me personally at pastor at centralportland.org. I'm happy to hold a prayer request for you or to hold things alongside of you in this time. And I hope that in sharing this part of my story that perhaps you'll remember you're not alone in this. We always welcome feedback on Facebook, so you can come and find us there or leave us a review on iTunes. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you, no matter what.